The following audio is from Shady Grove Presbyterian Church in Rockville, Maryland. Our mission is to follow Jesus Christ and labor for His kingdom both in our area and around the world. For more information about Shady Grove Presbyterian Church, please follow us on Facebook and visit ShadyGrovePCA.org. Well, if you have your Bibles with you, you can take those out. Romans chapter 12 or your apps, whatever it is you use to follow along with us. And of course, if you don't have a Bible with you, we have some in the seats in front of you that you can use to follow along, and we invite you to visit our Welcome Center. We have some Bibles there we'd love to give you as a gift uh, for you to take home. Romans chapter 12, you can also have your bulletin open to 1 Peter 4. That's where we will be beginning. We're currently in a short series right now titled The Good Life. And the goal of this series was to kind of create space for us as a church to grow to discuss some of, the, some of the cultural pressures that we think are facing our church right now, uh, but also the, the disciplines and the practices that we think, in light of those pressures, what we, what we ought to embrace as a church to really move the mission of our church forward. And so, so far we've talked about topics like work, gospel community. Uh, last week at the picnic, Charlie really talked uh, talk to us about overcoming the rampant individualism and the consumerism that's present in our culture. And this morning, we're going to be talking a little bit more specifically about hospitality, showing hospitality to one another. And I suspect that what the scriptures have to say to us this morning will be as much of a challenge for you as it has been for me, Uh, but I think that's good. Uh, it's, It's in God's word. It's prominent in God's word, and so I trust that, even though it's a challenge, that it's a good one. It's a good one for me, it's a good one for you, it's a good one for us to be challenged by it together. And so by way of introduction, let's look at 1 Peter 4 quickly together. You may recall a couple weeks ago that I somewhat jokingly but mostly serious mentioned that 1 Peter 4.9 is one of my favorite verses in the Bible right now. I'm not much of a life verse kind of guy. But if I was, I think this would be it. Not because I'm particularly good at showing hospitality, but quite the opposite. I grumble a lot. Showing hospitality is hard for me. And so for Peter to acknowledge that hospitality is difficult means that God knows me. And that scripture knows me and knows my heart and that there is a word in here for me as challenging as it may be. But this passage also stands out to me, and I think it should for us, for another reason that I want to bring to our attention. You may recall that Peter was writing to a church that was being persecuted, that was on the margins, that wasn't really uh, favored well by its culture and its context. And so here you have these people who are being persecuted, who are being attacked for their faith, And yet, Peter, throughout his letter, keeps drawing the church back to their public life and witness. And so he says things like, in chapter 2, that outsiders will see our good deeds and glorify our God who is in heaven. He says in chapter 3 that non-believers might be won over without a word. And so when he gets to chapter 4, he tells us, that the end of all things is at hand. He is quite literally telling us that we are living in the end times. 
And contrary to how Hollywood tends to portray this with the doom and gloom and the, you know, the brimstone and the fire and everyone's running for the hills and looking out and the demons are all, you know, contrary to what Hollywood says, scriptures say that we are living now in the end times. And Peter tells us that in these last days, this age is to be marked by eager expectation, by love, and by service. Look at what he says here. The end of all things is at hand, so exercise discipline. Be sober-minded. Love one another earnestly. Show forgiveness. Welcome the stranger, that is what hospitality means, without grumbling, and use your gifts to serve. You see, for Peter, really for for us, for for the Christian, the practices of what we would call the good life are not something that we fit into our schedule if it's convenient. The practices of the good life are a way of life to which we must be conformed. There will be challenges. We will never arrive in this life. There will be grumbling. In my case, more than I want to admit. But it is here in our intentional pursuit of the good life together where Jesus has promised that he will meet us and accomplish his purposes through us. So with that in mind, let's turn our attention to the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 9. Please give it your careful attention as this is God's word. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would make your teaching plain to us this morning, and we pray especially that you would reveal yourself to us this morning through your word, by your spirit, and that we might know just how much we have been welcomed into fellowship with you, and just how important it is for us to extend that same hospitality to others. We ask this because we pray it in your name. Amen. So for the rest of our time together, we're going to focus on verse 13 and really this last exhortation that we see in this passage, pursue hospitality. And so let's break this down together. First, the hospitable life, the good life, should be marked by pursuit. If you have your Bibles open, hope you do, I want you to briefly scan through verses 9 through 21 in chapter 12. You might notice that these verses are a long string of short, short, sharp commands with very little elaboration from the Apostle Paul, just sort of one after the other. In the Greek, the abrupt nature of this passage is even more pronounced because most of the clauses, most of the sentences here are verbless. And so Paul is intentionally using nouns and adjectives as verbs to grab our attention to shake us up, to realize that he's really trying to 
uh, make these short commands to us. He's using a Greek form of rhetoric called perinesis, which is marked by a certain abrupt and terse style with an apparent lack of concern for sequence or order. To think of it another way, Paul is shooting from the hip. He's just going for it. And he wants you to really know what the marks of the Christian life are to look like. But even though his writing style may be without order or sequence, it does have purpose. You'll notice verse 9 exhorts us to hold fast to what is good. And the end of verse 21 says, overcome evil with good. So all that Paul is exhorting us to here in these many verses is an elaboration of the good that a Christian is to pursue. Do you want to know what the good life looks like? Here you go. Study these things. Commit yourself to these things. In a near identical list, really, to the several commands that Peter gives in his epistle, Paul is reminding us that our lives are to be marked by genuine familial love, by mutual service, and hospitality. Verse 13 is really a good tie between the community that we saw a couple of weeks ago in Acts chapter 2 and this subject of hospitality that we're talking about today. A more literal translation of Paul's abrupt language in verse 13 would be, having fellowship in the needs of the saints, pursue hospitality. You see, the good life, the hospitable life, is marked by pursuit. It's something that we seek. It's not something that just comes to us. In other words, the Christian life is lived with an intentionality, an intentional pursuit of the disciplines and the practices which Christians ought to exemplify in their following of Christ. As Christians, we have a purpose, don't we? To seek to glorify God in all that we do. We are not those who wander aimlessly, wondering what the meaning and purpose is for our life. We don't have to make an identity for ourselves. We have one. And it's found in pursuing the good things that Scripture, that God tells us to pursue. I recently read the story of a woman in her 80s named Ludmilla, and I hope I'm pronouncing that right. She lives in Prague. She has survived two totalitarian regimes. And she lives now in the heart of one of the most secular, atheistic countries in Europe. Yet outside of her home, she has placed a bronze plaque which simply reads, Embassy of the Kingdom of Heaven. Every day, she opens her home to friends and strangers. She has a reputation in her neighborhood of being someone that you can turn to when you need to talk. Her table spread isn't fancy some store-bought cookies from a tin, maybe some tea. But there is an intentionality, and there is warmth. There is a pursuit of a welcoming life that is motivated by the fact that she knows she was first welcomed by Jesus. It's not much, but it is intentional. And that is how our lives should be. And here's what I think this means for each of us. 
I know that all of us in this room are in different seasons of life that make various practices in Romans 12 harder than others. And as we've begun preaching through this series, we've heard feedback from many of you about how these messages are hitting you so far. Some of you have told us that you've appreciated being challenged and that you know there are things in your life that you ought to change or need to adapt in order to more faithfully follow Jesus. Some of you have told us that the thought of building community and practicing hospitality is just too overwhelming for you right now. Let me just say quickly, um, those of you who have come to us to tell us that you're overwhelmed, I think Charlie and I have felt the same way that you are the people who are showing hospitality, you know? So it's, I think the reason why you might feel overwhelmed is because the Lord has already put a burden on your heart to be practicing the way that you are. But Charlie addressed this in his congregational email yesterday, and I want to encourage you to read it if you haven't yet. I think if you're feeling overwhelmed, you will be encouraged by what he had to say. And I just want to briefly add on to uh, what he said in his letter. And I'll start with this. Um, I have a long way to go, okay? I have a really long way to go. I often use my time in ways that I know are selfish. We haven't uh, invited our neighbors over yet. We've lived in this house now for three months. I know their names, most of them, some of them. Haven't had them into our house yet, and that disappoints me. No invitation for a meal. I wish I could say that we have. And it would be easy for me to beat myself up about that. But one of the things I often tell others in counseling that I've been reminding myself of as I've been preparing for this message over the last few hours (laughs) 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 is that we have to remember our growth, our sanctification, our growth in grace and holiness is not something that we measure in days or even in months. It's something that we measure in years. There are seasons in life where life is hard. There are seasons in life where practicing community, mission, and hospitality are hard. That's okay. But the question for us is really, and really the challenge is, can we look back on extended periods of our life? Can we look back on years, decades, and see a marked growth in the pursuit of this good, abundant life that Jesus would have for us? Some of you are in your mid to late 20s. Some of you are maybe back in that corner there. I know that's where you sit. (laughs) Yep, acknowledging. (laughs) Um, Some of you are in your, your, your early young adulthood. The question is, will you be able to look back on this decade of your life and see a pursuit of the good life? Will you be able to look back on your 20s and say that I pursued the things that God would have for me? Or were the 20s your years of just reckless freedom, of just throwing away time and energy and resources for selfish pursuits? Many of you are in difficult seasons at at work or in your family right now, and that's understandable. But are you going to be able to look back on your 30s or your 40s or your 50s or your 60s and say, I can see a a growth 
in selflessness and a pursuit of fellowship and the communion of the saints? Or are these decades of your life going to be marked by a desperate pursuit of control, activity, busyness, in order to create an identity and meaning for yourself? I mean, I think that's the real challenge when we come to a text like this. Is there a marked growth in our life over a span of time? Now, some of you have read Rosaria Butterfield's The Gospel Comes with a House Key. I think it's the next book our book club is discussing later this year. Some of you have read it earlier this year or this summer. And I love her definition of hospitality. Here's what she says. She says, hospitality is using your home in a daily way that seeks to make strangers, neighbors, and neighbors family of God. Let me say that again. Hospitality is using your home in a daily way that seeks to make strangers, neighbors, and neighbors family of God. I love that. I love that. In other words, there's both an outward and an inward dimension to our hospitality where we are seeking to bring others in and to grow with those who are already in as family. Now, everyone that I know who has read her book has had almost the same reaction. There's a mixture of conviction, inspiration, anger, and defeat. As inspiring as her example is of opening up her home daily and and just inviting all these people into her life, most of us know that we have no hope of being like Rosaria Butterfield. And so our temptation is to read her example and then just to shut down and say, well, if I can't be like that, why even try? But friends, Rosaria's message is not to be like her. Our message is not to make a bunch of wannabe Rosarias in the congregation. That's not what we're trying to do. Her message and our message is to be like God. To be like God who has shown us incredible hospitality through the person, life, and work of Jesus Christ. And so first, we live a life of pursuit of hospitality because second, hospitality is how we follow Jesus. Hospitality is how we follow Jesus. There are three ways the New Testament completes the following sentence. The Son of Man came. Do you know what those three ways are? First, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's Mark chapter 10. Second, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. It's Luke chapter 19. Third, the Son of Man came eating and drinking. That's Luke chapter 7. In his book, Meals with Jesus, Tim Chester helpfully points out that the first two sentences are statements of purpose. Why did Jesus come? To serve, to give his life as a ransom for us, to seek and to save. The third sentence is one of method. How did he do it? How did Jesus come? He came eating and drinking. A lot. 
As Peter Lightheart says in your bulletin, for Jesus, feast was not just a metaphor for his kingdom. It is both an image and the method of how his kingdom breaks into the world. Eating meals around a table in the presence of other people. Even those you barely know. This is how the kingdom breaks in. Through ordinary table fellowship. And if Jesus is right about how much our world needs his kingdom to break in, if he's right about the fact that the kingdom of darkness is passing away and the kingdom of light needs to break in, and I think he is right, then that means our world is desperate for table time. You must understand how radical Jesus' meals and hospitality were. The biblical scholar, Dr. Craig Blomberg, he has a great book, which is appropriately titled, Contagious Holiness, Jesus' Meals with Sinners. In it, he does a wonderful job surveying each and every meal portrayed in the biblical text, beginning in Genesis and going all the way through the Gospels. And one of the things he shows is how increasingly through the life of the people of Israel, meals became a boundary marker between the Israelites and the Gentiles. It was how they maintained purity in a world full of unclean pagans. The fear was that impurity was going to pollute the people of God, that impurity would be contagious. And their own cleanliness would be contaminated if they dined with outsiders. And so this is why we get to the Gospels and we read about so many regulations about washings and food and preparing to come to the table. But do you notice what is absent from almost all of Jesus' meals in the Gospels? It's the ceremonial washings and the preparations to come to the table. When they are mentioned, it's because he's being attacked for not doing them. You see, Jesus caused a remarkable reversal to take place. And when we follow him, we have the privilege in participating in what he is doing. It is no longer impurity which is contagious, but holiness. Jesus tore down the boundaries of his day precisely to show his followers that his kingdom would come to fruition not by erecting walls, but by crossing boundaries through the ordinary acts of hospitality and table fellowship. Do you understand now why the Pharisees were so upset by Jesus' meals? It wasn't just who he ate with, but how he ate with them. When Jesus ate with Levi and the other tax collectors in Luke 5, it says that the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled. Friends, take note. If you, like me, are a grumbler, we are the Pharisee in this story. I've always wanted to say that I'm more like Levi than the Pharisees. You know, I want to be the sinner who introduces other sinners to Jesus. But over time, if I look back on the last nine or ten years, I can tell you that my relationships with those who don't know Jesus have weakened. 
I've gotten too busy, you know. There's just so much to do, so much ministry to be done. I wish I could say I was a friend of sinners. Most days, I feel like a grumbling Pharisee. In his eating and drinking, Jesus showed us that he is the true friend of sinners. He lived his life with them. He preferred to be in their presence. He identified with the sinful women that the Pharisees and the disciples mocked. He reclined at table with the social outcasts, and he invited them in. By the time his meal with Levi was over, the Pharisees had had enough. Just a few verses later, it says they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they would do to Jesus. It is, as one commentator has said, that Jesus got himself killed because of how he ate. It was through his table fellowship, through his extending of hospitality and inviting people into his life, that we now know Jesus welcomes each and every one of us to have fellowship with him. There is no one in this room, in this city, or on this planet who is too far from Jesus, too filthy, too broken, too sinful to be invited in. And it gets even better. We don't even have to clean up ourselves first. We can come as we are. We can come as we are, and all we need is faith. Faith in the Son of Man who came eating and drinking with sinners in order to serve and to die as a ransom for sinners. See, friends, our hospitality that we show to one another, that we show to outsiders, is an expression of everything that we believe about what it means to be Christian. Our hospitality is an expression of our doctrines of grace and of justification and how someone can be made right with God. And it's possible, it's possible for us with our words to articulate a sound and and reformed doctrine of justification by grace through faith, yet live a life that says, Justification is by works. In essence, who we fellowship with communicates to our watching world who Jesus has fellowship with. And so if all we ever do is eat and drink with our own kind, with those who behave and believe how we do, we will resemble more closely the Pharisees in our beliefs and practice. Many of us, and I'm throwing myself into this, into this boat, okay? Many of us have schedules that are currently too filled with activities and commitments to even consider this kind of ministry. I'm sure all of those activities and commitments, I'm sure they're all good things. Many of those commitments may be churchy things. But I think there is a need for many of us myself included, to intentionally free our calendars to create space for the kind of table, fellowship, and hospitality which Jesus so clearly models for us. 
Jesus' ministry challenges us to cross the culture gap of our holy huddles and our Christian subcultures and cross into the lives of people in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, and our street corners. Our hospitality is our street cred for how the kingdom is going to break through first in our homes, then in our neighborhoods, and then in our cities. I recently listened to a sermon on Romans 12, 13 by Pastor Russ Whitfield. He's a PCA pastor at the Grace Churches in D.C. And here's what he said. It's a challenge for me today. It's as much of a challenge as it was when I first heard it. He said this, talking about Romans 12, 13. He says, Paul is not asking us to fit hospitality into our lives. He's saying that hospitality is an essential of the Christian life around which you build everything else. There may be other things that need to go. There may be other things that you try to fit in your life on the margins if it's possible, but hospitality is not one of those things. It's a non-negotiable. So friends, if eating and drinking around a table is where Jesus showed us the good life is to be found. And let's find it together there as we pursue hospitality toward our family, towards church members, towards neighbors, and our city. As we prepare to come to the table together, let's remember that Jesus, of all the ways that he could have chosen to be remembered, he chose a meal. What he considered most memorable and characteristic of his ministry was table fellowship. The ordinary meal, one of the most common and basic practices that human beings do, was transformed by Jesus to become an opportunity for divine encounter. Every time we come to the table together, we receive the hospitality of our Lord and we see that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many, to seek and to save the lost, and he did it by eating and drinking. And so we come to this table with bread and with juice, common peasant food. It's not a fancy spread. It doesn't have to be fancy. And it's here that he invites us to share in the grace of God. And so as we come together, that invitation is extended to each and every person in this room this morning. If you're here this morning and you are looking to Christ as your Savior and your hope, then we invite you not to clean yourself up, not to make, your pre- self, not to make yourself presentable to God, but to come to the table as you are, broken and sinful and needy, to have fellowship with our Savior. But if you're here this morning and you're not sure where you stand with the Lord Jesus, or if you have not yet committed yourself to following him, we would ask you not to partake of this meal. And that's not because we're trying to be exclusive, anything but. It's because we want you to know that without faith, this is just bread and juice. It doesn't mean anything for you. Instead, we want you to take Jesus today. And so use this time to pray And ask him to show himself to you. Maybe for the first time, ask him to give you faith to follow him. And if you have any questions what that looks like, please come talk to me 
or Charlie or anyone else that you've seen up here this morning. We would love to talk to you about what it means to follow Jesus. Let's pray. Our Father, your word shows us through the life and death and ministry of Jesus Christ that hospitality is a key mark of the Christian life. It's what it means to follow Jesus and how he ministered to a lost and hurt and sinful and broken world. And so Lord, we pray that you would create in us welcoming, hospitable hearts. As we come to this table together, we ask that you would fill us, feed us, and meet us here to have fellowship with our Savior. We thank you for this time, and we pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.